This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. One of the most interesting stories in Oregon is playing out in Morrow County. It includes a nonprofit internet provider, a handful of local politicians, and Amazon, one of the world's most powerful companies. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, business and technology reporter Mike Rogaway. We talked about his three-part series examining Amazon's role in Morrow County, the unusual arrangement that put many local politicians and civic leaders on all sides of the decision-making process involving Amazon data centers, how those data centers are guzzling electricity and boosting carbon emissions, and how Oregon's decades-old program to give local governments the ability to hand out massive property tax breaks has transformed into a windfall for some of our nation's most prominent companies. Here's our conversation. Mike Rogaway, thanks for coming back on the show. Very glad to be here, Andrew. So, Mike, we've talked about data centers on this podcast and in real life in the before times, um, <laughs> but I've never seen you go as deep, or maybe you have, but as as you have recently uh, into the specific situation out in Morrow County. So, what led you down the path of going on such a lengthy, uh, interesting analysis of the situation out in Morrow County? Well, data centers have been a, a, a big industry in Oregon since Google opened its first corporate data center in the Dalles in 2006. And then Facebook followed a few years later by opening its first data center in Prineville. And a couple of years after that, Amazon opened in Morrow County and then Umatilla after that. Apple also has a large facility in Prineville. What started us on this particular look was two things. Number one, you know, Amazon's footprint in Morrill County is is really huge. Uh, they got, what, four large data centers there, several billion dollars investment, uh, and tax breaks worth close to $50 million a year. It's a county of 12,000 handing out tax breaks, you know, of close to 50 million, as I say. It's, it's an enormous sum of, of giveaways from a fairly small community. We were particularly interested in the relationship between Amazon and some of those people giving it the tax breaks. And what stood out to us was that Amazon contracts with a, a small fiber company there called Windwave uh, to get fiber for its data centers. And Windwave, it turns out, uh, is owned by four of the people who were involved in selling Amazon its land in Morrill County and giving it its tax breaks. And so the stories that we've been running over the past week or so have looked in detail at that relationship and how that came to be. And it, it's pretty unusual. And it, it's a tale. And Andrew, if you want, I'll, I'll take us back in time and, <laughs> and, and, and tell it. <laughs> take me on this interesting tale. All right. Well, of how you found out about Windwave, I guess. Is that the is that the interesting piece or is it all interesting? Well, it's, it's how I found out about it was just talking to people in the community, uh, but the the it's a story of of how Windwave came to be and its relationship with Amazon that that kind of 
was what really stood out in this episode. And so you got to take us back to around the turn of the century when the internet was still a little bit of a novelty, particularly in rural Oregon, where it just flat out wasn't available. And right. so some of the civic boosters there took it upon themselves to run their own fiber out to Boardman and Morrill County and hook up hospital, healthcare facilities, schools, library, government offices, things like that. Uh, and once they got the fiber there, you know, we're talking dot com era, 2000, 2000 to 2004, that period of time, uh, businesses wanted access to that too. It made sense because everyone wanted to be online and it was hard to get in rural Oregon. It still is in some places to get a fast internet connection. So this, this nonprofit they formed, Inland uh, Development Corp, began hooking up businesses and they realized that, you know, you can't really run a for-profit business in a non-profit. The <laughs> missions are, are at odds and there are rules around that. So they set up a subsidiary, a for-profit subsidiary, uh, Windwave Communications. And it began, you know, selling fiber to these small businesses. Well, come around 2011, Amazon came to town and began building these huge data centers. And it needed fiber just like just like everyone else. And so they contracted with this Windwave. And Windwave's revenue started growing rapidly. Now, come around 2016... Inland. Now, this is the nonprofit. It's a little complicated, so stop me if I, mm -hmm. if I get confusing. But the nonprofit decided <laughs> I'm with you. We need to we need to be out of this business. We're not a for profit organization. Uh, you know, there's business pressures and things. We we've got to sell this business. Uh, and so, instead of selling a business the way you usually do, just put it on the market, find a broker, perhaps something like that, to see if there's interest. Inland decided to sell it to two of its own board members, to the director of the port, which had sold Amazon its land and voted on its tax breaks, and to a county commissioner who had also served on the port and voted on the land sales and tax breaks. Was, in fact, um, this fellow Don Russell, he's a county commissioner now, is you know, in charge of the enterprise zone program that, mm -hmm. that gives out the tax breaks. The, now, I should also say the two board members on, on Inland, the nonprofit, um, that decided to sell, they're also on the port commission that had approved the tax breaks and sold Amazon its land. So essentially, they're selling it, Inland is selling it to people they already know uh, and know well. And to come up with a price... Uh, they hired a Portland firm called Cogents to say, okay, how much is it worth? You know, if you put something on the market, you might, you know, get a market price for it. Right. But here, the this valuation firm said, oh, we'll come up with a price for you. Uh, and there were a number of features in that sale price that were unusual. Windwave's revenue was growing rapidly. It was coincident with Amazon's growth. We don't know for sure that Amazon was was driving that growth because that's not their customers aren't disclosed. But they said that the revenue growth in 2016 was an aberration, that it shouldn't be counted. They should instead look at past revenue to determine the price. Okay. Through documents we were able to see, we, we saw it, it wasn't an aberration. In fact, 26, revenues grew even faster the following year in 2017. The nonprofit inland said it couldn't be tied to Windwave because it was too risky, so they had to sell it. 
they loaned Windwave money as part of the deal, so they were continued to tie tied to it. Yeah, and the interest rate they set for it was two point seven five percent. Now, if you or any of our <laughs> listeners here have ever run a small business, if you can get a two point seven five percent loan for your <laughs> business, that's that's great. But the valuation documents themselves said that the cost of capital was ten percent, so they're getting a huge discount on this. Essentially, the nonprofit is is underwriting the sale uh, with this uh, below market to its own rate. board members to its own board members and you know other people it knows Cogent's put the purchase price at 1.9 million and then handed the deal over to the Oregon Department of Justice which has authority to oversee nonprofits in the state the DOJ didn't object to the the valuation methodology or anything but they did kick it back and they said well we have these new tax cuts you recall that uh, Trump and and President Trump and and the Congress approved big business tax cuts in 2017. They said, mm-hmm. "Well, you're going to have lower taxes in the future, so that's going to increase the value of your business." In this case, it increased it by about seven hundred thousand dollars, close to you know half the the value of the deal. Uh, and so then the deal went ahead. As part of the deal, there was a requirement that neither the nonprofit nor Windwave, the for-profit part of the business, announce the transaction publicly or, or tell customers about it. They didn't keep it secret. If you asked about it, um, you'd tell. And uh, sometimes after the deal was completed, the buyers would recuse themselves from votes involving Amazon. Sometimes they wouldn't recuse themselves, but sometimes they did. Uh, so it became clear within the community that this happened and became a subject of of great interest. What we're looking at here is the degree to which you know Oregon puts all the authority for literally unlimited tax breaks in small communities, a small community of 12,000 people. And a small subset of that 12,000 is making the decision on whether or not one of the world's largest companies, one of the world's wealthiest companies, gets these enormous tax breaks. Uh, and it creates this kind of unusual relationship where uh, tax breaks end up being quite large for a very wealthy company. And the people who benefit from Amazon's presence are some of the same people who awarded those tax breaks and uh, sold the land. Yeah. So that's the tale that we've been telling the past week. And there are many other elements to the story Um related to, and we should talk about Amazon's power use out there, yeah. as well as the structure of Oregon's tax breaks generally. But that was the thrust of our main article. No, it, and it's a fascinating tale because we're so, you know, my brain when I think of uh, the enterprise zones and the tax breaks and whether, you know, there's any number of basically property tax abatements that allow these big uh, companies to you know, to save some cash on either buildings or materials or what have you, I, you know, I've kind of always thought of um, the other piece of your beat out in the Silicon Forest, um, whether it's Genentech, uh, one of the big medical companies out there, or Intel. But, you know, it's it's more than that. And it's all these data centers and all these major employers um, and some of the biggest corporations in the country working in these small counties. The Oregon Secretary of State conducted an audit of our tax break program uh, in 2016. And one of the things they looked at at the time was how much Oregon gives away uh, per job. And what they found at the time was these, what they call long-term rural enterprise zone programs. They go for up to 15 years, what data centers get. They typically uh, provide much more 
uh, value to the companies than other kinds of tax breaks that we give on a per job basis. Data centers don't employ very many people on an aggregate basis. Uh, the computers do all the work. Uh, you have some technicians in there, a whole bunch of security guards. Mm -hmm. uh, if you ever approach one of these data centers, you will see uh, Jeep approach you rather rapidly uh, because they're <laughs> they're very very concerned about uh, about who might be be visiting. But the you know just to just to give you some numbers, uh, you know the 2016 audit found that you know our standard Oregon enterprise zone tax break provides about $4,200 in property tax savings to a company for each job it creates. It found long-term enterprise zone tax breaks, this was in 2016, provide about $55,000 in tax breaks per job. Hmm. In Morrow County, the number is much, much higher than that. Uh, Amazon is getting uh, $94, more than $94,000 in tax savings for every job it creates. So it's in a, it's it's a, a very large giveaway relative to or other Oregon tax incentives. Now, it's not to say that these data centers don't have real economic impact. They really do, particularly in a small community. Uh, it's a it's a it's a big impact. The critics of these deals say it isn't a question of whether or not the data centers are providing value in the community. It's a question of whether or not they could be providing more value and maybe a lot more value if they were paying closer to the standard share of taxation. So um, now I'm curious, Mike, like as someone who pays attention to you know, business trends and big stories around the country, I mean, a couple years ago now, there's just nonstop hullabaloo about Amazon and where they're going to headquarters, their second headquarters, whatever, what was it called? H2 or something? I don't know. Something H like HQ2, that. HQ2, yeah. HQ2, thank you. Um, and that was just, there were so many stories, just constant stories about this, yet you, you know, here in, you know, one of Oregon's 36 counties alone, um, you know, they basically can operate um, without, you know, the scrutiny that they would nationally um, and save, you know, a lot of money. Well, it's something we've been looking at for a, a long time. You know, Oregon has among the most valuable tax breaks for data centers in the country. Uh, famously, you know, several years ago, a data center that set up operations in Hillsborough said that the tax breaks are so good that if electricity were free in California, it would still be cheaper to operate in Oregon. And that's not that's saying something because electricity is one of the major costs in operating a data center. These, these computers are very power intensive. And it is one of the factors for the reason they choose Oregon. We have relatively inexpensive electricity compared to some other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. But mostly it's for the tax breaks. You know, we, we're, we're un, unbeatable when it comes to that. Well, it's just very curious because um, when you look at the gubernatorial race and I guess just Oregon politics in general, there's always this um, notion that the state is not friendly to business interests. And, um, you know, multiple things can be true at the same time. But here, there, <laughs> if you're if you happen to, to be involved in one of the major, um, you know, data driven companies that fuel and, and uh, drive our world like. Apple or Google or Amazon, it's pretty friendly. Yeah. You know, our, our tax system, like every state's tax system, is rather complicated. But we do a, a few things that make us particularly attractive to data centers. One, we don't have a sales tax. So if you go in other states, businesses pay sales tax on their equipment. Well, if you're spending $4 billion on a data center and you're paying somewhere between 5 and 7% on sales tax, well, that's a lot of money. 
Well, there's no sales tax in Oregon. And like most states, we charge property tax on the real property inside a building. It's not just the building and the land. We also charge businesses, like most states do, Mm -hmm. taxation on the equipment that they have in there. Well, again, if you spend $4 billion, that's a lot of money. Uh, But Oregon will wipe out much of that um, by giving local jurisdictions the ability to forgive those those, uh, tax breaks. Sorry, that property tax. And so it's a become a, a very attractive industry. And it, it has made a big difference in a few of Oregon's rural counties. You know, it, uh, data centers have, have large presences in Umatilla, Morrow, Crook, and Wasco counties, but no presence of any economic significance in any other county. So it's, it's really just concentrated in the counties that, that offer the best deals, essentially. Uh, and, you know, as critics say, it's it's kind of a race to the bottom. You know, whoever will give away the most gets this because the counties are competing against one another. So counties have talked about and tax reformers have talked about, could there be some kind of guardrails on the program, some kind of limits on how big the tax breaks could be? Could you tie them to the number of jobs that are created? I think one thing that I hear over and over again in Morrill County is, well, could the state provide some expertise Uh, You know, if you're a county of 12,000 people negotiating with a trillion dollar business, uh, there's an asymmetry there. Amazon can afford to hire a legal team and site selection experts that can help it make negotiate the best possible deal. Uh, Morrill County has hired an attorney now uh, to help with negotiations. But, you know, that's coming out of what it can afford from the taxes that it's generated in a, in a county of 12,000 people. It's it's not comparable to the resources Amazon can bring to bear in these negotiations. You've talked about the size of Morrill County uh, population-wise, and obviously we've got 36 counties, and um, you know many of them are large and, and have uh, large in terms of area and have small populations. But Morrill County, um, as you kind of out- outlined in your first chapter, um, you know, people might drive through it, but it's it's uh, it's more significant um, in a number of ways, right? Can you talk about um, the the economic engine um, out there beyond just the data centers? Well, it has enormous. Morrill County has enormous ag- agricultural footprint out there, both in terms of, of farms and fields and agricultural processing. Uh, but it's also a major contributor to life for those of us downriver. Uh, Portland General Electric has a, a major generator there. Uh, Tillamook Cheese has a major cheese factory there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you live in Vancouver, that's where your trash goes. Uh, they'll barge it up to Columbia and it ends up in a landfill in Boardman. So it, it plays a, a, a big part of the, the role in city life. And of course, there's the data centers there. Uh, if you're you know storing stuff in the cloud, you know it's very likely in an Amazon Web Services data center uh, out in Morrow or Umatilla County. So if you're queuing up the uh, new... Lord of the Rings series on Amazon Prime. Uh, it might be living out at one, one of these data centers, right? And and many other companies. You know, your corporate data. A- Amazon has you know this enormous business. But we think of them as consumers, as being well, where we go to buy our trinkets and and soap and shampoo and toilet paper, or whatever, and have it delivered to our door. But it, in terms of profitability, their main business is this data hosting business. And so, yes, they're hosting their own Lord of the Rings, but they're also hosting things for every other kind of company uh, from consumer services to, to corporate data analysis. 
And um, you mentioned the port a few times um, for listeners who might not be aware. I mean, it's right on the Columbia River, right? And the the port of Moro is um, one of, it's how big compared to, to other ports we have? It is Oregon's second largest port. Okay. Uh, which, you know, it, it, it's quite significant because it, it is, it, Moro County is remote, geographically remote, but it's on the freeway. It's right on 84 uh, and it's right on the river. So it is a, a good place from a transportation point of view. It's just far away from other places. So county government, you know, I, again, like I said, there's thir- 36 counties in Oregon and, um, you know, people in Multnomah County are probably not super plugged into what's going on on the <laughs> Multnomah County Commission. But like in terms of your reporting out in, in Morrill County, I mean, how like how many people are on the commission and then how many people are really kind of making these huge decisions that affect, you know, Amazon and its ability to save some cash? Well, there's the three-member uh, county commission, who I, I should say are, are split on this matter uh, among the current membership. You know, uh, two members want, uh, I think, more productive negotiations with Amazon. A third member who happens to be one of Winway's owners is, is quite clearly happy with the current arrangement. But the port has to sign off on it because it's port land, and the city of Boardman has to sign off on it too because it's in a I believe the term is is in um, Boardman's area of interest, even though most and perhaps all the data centers are not physically in the Boardman city limits. And so it, it it creates within the county, there is sparring over who gets uh, what part of the fees that Amazon pays uh, for, in exchange for the tax breaks Amazon gets. It pays some fees uh, in lieu of uh, into mm-hmm. what this enterprise zone fund, and it gets redistributed. The, Amazon is currently seeking a new package of tax breaks for uh, five new data centers uh, valued at about $12 billion, you know, $1 billion, $1 billion for every thousand people in in, in Morrill County wow. uh, in terms of the investment. Uh, and in, in conjunction with that, there's discussion in the county and the city over how that should be distributed. Should this be another enterprise zone program? Should be it? Be there, Oregon has another package of tax breaks, a strategic investment program. That's what they have in the most recent deal. Umatilla County has signed with Morrill County. It's also the same general program that Intel uses for its tax breaks in Hillsborough. Right. So depending on what program they go with, it's going to affect how the money is allocated. Then you have a question over bonding. The school district uh, in Morrill County sought uh, a public bond for for major school upgrades this last year. Amazon is largely exempt from school bonds, but not entirely exempt. They're still the largest taxpayer out there, even though most of their property is exempt. Uh, There has been a push to make Amazon subject to bonding. Amazon doesn't want to be, of course, because then it could end up paying the lion's share of these upgrades. And I think their concern is that voters would approve things uh, knowing that Amazon would foot most of the bill. Of course, when you're dealing with a property tax base of 12,000 residents, even if Amazon pays most of it, I think it's not likely that residents would say, well, let's build something like a football stadium or something like that, <laughs> because the cost for 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 them, uh, for the for the residents would be would be quite high. So I'm before we get and we talk a little bit about some of the carbon emissions and other factors you, you've reported on. I'm just like, is this a model that 
companies can use and other, you know, you mentioned a handful of counties that are already kind of in the same boat, maybe not the same degree as Morrill County, but does this look like a model that big corporations could use in, you know, small counties in Oregon where, you know, you've got these volunteer politicians who, um, you know, have a lot of sway and, um, you know, maybe people aren't paying attention because they have other things to do and it's not top of their mind in terms of, um, you know, county governance and what it means for their daily lives. Is this a one-off, I guess, or is this could be a model for other counties, uh, for major, major companies? Well, in, ter- in terms of the overlapping, you know, interests that we have where the fiber provider is owned by the same people giving the tax breaks, yeah. I would say that's unusual. Uh, I'm not aware of a similar interest in, in other counties. But certainly, uh, the data centers quite openly play one county off against one another. Uh, Facebook did it in Prineville. They said, well, maybe we'll go to Enterprise uh, if we don't get the deal we like. Uh, both supporters and critics of the existing deals in Morrill County say that Amazon was quite clear that, well, any given data center, they'll move next door to Umatilla County if they don't get the tax deal they like out of Morrill County. So it, it does have, create this race to the bottom effect. And, and there is some evidence that some counties have been far more successful than others uh, in negotiating these deals. And there are some counties have gotten a lot better at it as time went on. Now, Wasco County's uh, giveaways to Google, which has which built Oregon's first large data centers in 2006, their current tax deal is uh, much more lucrative for the county. I, uh, off the top of my head, I'm going to say that if Google proceeds and builds more data centers there, the new ones would pay something like half of their property taxes, and they were paying a small fraction of that under prior deals. So I would say yeah, counties- We talked about that on a previous episode, yes. you, up in the Dallas. Yes. So, yeah. so the Dallas, Wasco County, they, they have gotten savvier about the negotiations for sure. And they may also recognize they have some more leverage. Uh, it makes sense for Google to concentrate in, or Amazon or Facebook to concentrate in one location rather than spread them out all over. So once they've started down that road, you can ask for more. Uh, I think there is some evidence that counties have maybe, some counties have not done as well as others in negotiating that. Okay. Um, well, like I said, you looked at how energy use in Morrill County is fueling carbon emissions. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, how did that get on your radar uh, to, to dive into that? Yeah, well, it, this has been a, a, a an area of, of constant interest uh, since data centers started arriving in Oregon. And there was initial concern that they would essentially replace the aluminum industry in terms of their uh, electricity consumption. It, it, it hasn't quite happened that way, in part because data centers have gotten a lot more efficient in their operations. But they do use an enormous amount of power. Uh, you know, I think the the in- increase in industrial power um, among Umatilla Electric, which serves Umatilla and Morrow counties where Amazon operates. Since Amazon arrived, um, the, the increase uh, in power consumed is about the equivalent uh, to the annual power use of 200,000 uh, people. Hmm. So it's a, it's a big, they're big in energy consumers for sure. In terms of their carbon emissions, you know, you, you, we often think of, of clean hydropower. And in fact, you know, that's one of the things Google enjoys uh, along the Columbia River and the Dalles. Umatilla Electric is a small cooperative. They get a small allocation from the Bonneville Power Administration of hydropower. So 
when Amazon arrived and the power demands went way up, they quickly exhausted that allocation. So now they have to buy power on the open market. So the carbon emissions uh, per megawatt hour that Umatilla Electric uh, generates now is is up 506, 540%, I believe, since Amazon arrived. So it's just a, a, a huge leap in carbon emissions. And you know, critics look at, at Oregon state policy and they say, well, we've just passed the state legislation designed to encourage clean energy, move to clean power. But on the other hand, we're giving out these huge tax breaks worth you know, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars a year in aggregate uh, to data centers, which are major carbon contributors. Now, it should be said that some companies uh, like Apple and Facebook have made investments in Oregon toward clean energy. Amazon is also committed to clean energy, but it's not really clear how they intend to achieve that. And they won't tell us. There's no evidence that they're pursuing clean energy projects in Oregon, for example. Yeah. Uh, thank you for mentioning, you know, what Amazon has told you. Um, uh, basically, what's been their rebuttal to kind of you laying out the uh, the case that, look, there's a small group of people who have uh, outside sway and, and are deciding basically not only the fiber for the for the county, but where the siting and the tax breaks for for your centers. What did they have to say to that? Amazon doesn't want to talk about its relationship with WindWave, and they will not. Uh, they will only communicate in writing, and they sent a written statement that said um, they're not going to talk about it. They said any indicate any implication that they've acted unethically or inappropriately is false. So that's the extent of of their comment on on that matter. Yeah, uh, they have they have said you know that they're making various efforts around clean energy and that they recycle most of their water. And their data centers are more efficient than uh, data centers that are operated by small individual companies. And then, lastly, the third piece of your of your uh, excellent series that we'll share in the episode notes. You kind of alluded to it a little bit uh, in our discussion, but how has the Enterprise Zone program evolved since it started nearly forty years ago? Yeah, well, that's an excellent question, Andrew. And I, it's, you know, we we started this conversation by going back to two thousand and and bring fiber to to Morrill County. Well, we're going to have to go back farther to to the nineteen eighties. Uh, Oregon created this enterprise zone program. The idea was, you know, tax breaks in rural communities and other communities and, and suburban and urban ones to small manufacturers, you know, RV manufacturers, firearm manufacturers, things like that. You know, the tax breaks amounted to, you know, hundreds of thousands or maybe a couple million dollars um, for small hands-on factories. What, what happened in 2006 was the data centers discovered that there are no limit, there's no ceiling on those tax breaks. <laughs> and so starting with Google and then with Facebook and Apple and then finally with Amazon, you know, they've asked for and have received the world. Now, I, I should say that even in these small communities, they like the autonomy very much. They like being able to negotiate their own tax breaks uh, and set their own parameters. I think what they want is more guardrails. Yeah. Some people want more guardrails. Some people want more help from the state to negotiate the best deal. Uh, so that whatever they're not giving away anything more than they have to. Of course, that's very hard to know in a negotiation like this, uh, particularly if you're a small community that has no expertise in the data center industry. Amazon knows what options it has. Now, unlike other kinds of industries, you can't just put a data center, well, we're going to put 
all our data centers in China or India or mm-hmm. someplace far afield can't even really put them, you know, halfway across the country. They have to be distributed regionally because even electrons take time to move from place to place. And when businesses call up their data from the cloud or when you and I start streaming music uh, from Spotify or or from Netflix or Amazon Prime Video, uh, we want it to come up right away. We don't have to wait for it to hang up while it travels on these fiber optic cables across the country. So these data centers can't go just anywhere. They have to be regionally distributed. Uh, and they are, you know, they're clustered around certain parts of Washington and Oregon and the Northwest. So, you know, you've been reporting on this topic for more than a decade now. Why haven't state policymakers taken steps to strengthen this program and do some of the things you just talked about that people in Morrow County want or some people want? <laughs> <laughs> it's an excellent question. I, I would say that it's it's not really visible to people. Um, you don't know what you don't get. Uh, you know, I'm speculating to some degree, Yeah. but you know, these are not in population centers. Nobody goes in them. You can, you can see them from the highway, but they're off limits. Uh, it's a kind of industry that while very large in Oregon in dollar terms, doesn't make a big contribution to the state's culture or economy. And I think people kind of overlook it to a degree. You know, if there were a regular accounting of Oregon's largest tax breaks, it would be more visible. But Oregon does not do that. It does not regularly analyze the effectiveness of its tax breaks programs, both in attracting jobs and in um, maximizing state revenue. Um, You mentioned... And local revenue. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, Mike, that um, you've kind of alluded to you know, people, it's not just that everyone's going along with this. I mean, there, there are people frustrated in Morrow County. Can you just talk about the, I mean, the, what you've heard, um, both, both that led to your reporting and then since your stories have, have, uh, dropped just from people in the community out there? I, I think there's a, a lot of division in the small community and it's the kind of, kind of conflict you have in any small community. You know, if you've covered small town politics, and most reporters have at some point or another, it can sometimes get kind of nasty just because the personal relationships are so close and so intimate. You know, it's your neighbors and it's not some guy across town. It's by definition in a small community, it's somebody you see more or less every day. And it, it gets personal in a hurry. And so I think there's been a, a degree of resentment about these deals since they started to become you know, more common knowledge uh, over the last couple of years, you know, both the size of the tax deals and the fact that certain people stand to benefit disproportionately from them. But people are are really reluctant to, to talk about it publicly because they're concerned um, that people in power are going to cause problems for them in mm-hmm. terms of their own land, in terms of their own businesses, uh, if they rock the boat. So people have been reluctant to talk about it. There, There is a, a real split in the community there around a number of issues. And I would say this has just been amplified by, the, by Amazon's presence. You know, this is what happens when you take a trillion dollar company and, and put them in a, a community of 12,000 people. It just amplifies the issues that are already there. And before I let you go, um, you know, the, the previous episode uh, was our friend and colleague, Ted Sickinger, talking about Portland General Electric and kind of wind farms and in um, 
you know, uh, rural Oregon or, you know, not in the Willamette Valley. And I'm just curious, Mike, you're a great thinker. <laughs> I always turn to you on, on issues like this. I mean, what, what is your stories and Ted's story say, if anything about Oregon and how we, um, how we view, uh, both industry and then, um, places that maybe aren't along the I-5 corridor? I, th- I think one thing that's really profound is that small communities across Oregon and probably across the country are really scratching for the economic opportunities that are available to them. There, there are relatively few. Morrow County is a little bit of an exception. Uh, it has this very large port. It has a number of opportunities available right. to, itself, to it. But other counties really are scratching. You know, uh, uh, you know Crook County, where Prineville is, where Amazon and, and Facebook operate, their data centers – you know, the, the timber mills there have been in rapid decline for many years. Les Schwab moved its headquarters to Bend. You know, you've got to kind of take what you can get. And I think small communities everywhere are are really struggling. And, and what's available to them right now, what seems easiest at least, are wind farms, data centers, things like that that are serving large markets elsewhere. It's not so different from natural resources economies historically. You know, you have... You have large industries that serve larger population centers. I think what's a little bit different in this case is that you're bringing in things that don't employ very many people relative to the scale of the operation. Uh, you know, if you told somebody, well, we're going to invest $8 billion in your community and create 500 jobs, that's confounding. It's, it's hard to picture, but it's because of these large cavernous data centers where very little happens inside them other than the consumption of electricity. Well, it's a fascinating series, and uh, thanks, as always, for taking time to talk about it. Yeah, good to be with you, Andrew. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared links to Mike's three stories in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show. And tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism and work like Mike Rogway's deep dive into Morrow County is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.